2: For Montana's only daily sports talk show, Nuwana now. Watch the show statewide on SWX Montana Television.
0: Yo, yo, yo. Welcome in. nuanas is now ESPN radio. We'll see if I remember how to do this. Hopefully you had an outstanding holiday weekend. I took the first time off I've taken since I started steering the ship here. So it's only less than a week. might be a little rusty. I'm just kidding. Happy to be back with you. Hope you had a fun, uh, couple days off. Hopefully you got to take some time off. And, uh, even if you didn't, hopefully you got to enjoy at least a little bit of food with your family and friends and, uh, Man, I had a great time. And people ask me what I did, nothing. I did nothing. I sat on the couch and watched football and uh, ate macaroni and cheese, I think like seven different times, and uh, it was it was phenomenal. A great Thanksgiving for us at the Nuanas family, and uh, happy to have some family back a little bit closer, so definitely a good couple days away. Hopefully, everybody out there had uh, some time to at least regroup and recharge as we now get into what's going to be pretty darn fun month of football. The dust has finally settled after the rivalry game between Montana and Montana State. And now here we are into the new season, the postseason. And uh, I think that's the dominant storyline that we will be talking about until one or both of these teams are no longer playing football when it comes to the Bobcats and the Grizzlies. How do you react from what happened two Saturdays ago in Missoula? For those that haven't been around, Montana, a 29 to 10 victory over Montana State. So, is that momentum that can carry into the FCS playoffs for the Grizzlies? Is it a moment that maybe it can be a restart for the Bobcats and/or maybe a motivating factor to get back on the the horse and uh, prove that that wasn't their best performance and they still are a legitimate playoff contender? We'll see. We're going to get to all that. My usual Monday co-host, Riley Corcoran, voice of the Grizz, not in studio. He's, in fact, not with us today at all because this is the time of year where, you know, I I try to never complain about being busy and, and uh, spread thin because at the end of the day, I mean, we're covering sports for a living, and I know that a vast, vast majority of the people listening to this show, you would love if your job was to go to games all the time, and I do. I, uh, I, I love all of the different community events we get to go to. I love being engaged in the community, and I love the fact that we... Uh, we have such a fun and um, community-based job like we do here in the sports media business. But that said, this is the time of year where I have an unbelievable amount of respect for the guys that are the play-by-play guys for the actual schools in the Big Sky Conference because you got to keep all your stuff straight this time of year. Riley Corcoran, he is in Eugene, Oregon, preparing to broadcast Montana, at Oregon in men's college hoops tonight. And don't look now, but Big Sky Conference play starts for the Grizz and the Bobcats on Thursday. Uh, It's this weird deal where they get a couple conference games in the first weekend of December here. Then they have three weeks off. Uh, from Big Sky Play with a couple other non-conference games, and they get back into uh, the season, the, the actual conference slate. So Riley's not with us today, so a little bit of an audible here, but we'll get things kicked up like we always do each Monday, first hour every Monday show with the Montana Football Hour, presented by Stockman Bank as well as Brett's RV and Marine. Here in just a minute, we're going to be joined by Voice of Eastern Washington Eagles, Larry Weir. The Eagles, it wasn't pretty, but they post an FCS playoff win, 19-9 to over Northern Iowa. Um, on Saturday. So the rematch is set for Montana. The Grizzlies will host Eastern. Uh, one of Montana's two losses this season came to Eastern in Cheney on October 3rd, 34-28. to So the Grizzlies get another shot at the Eagles. There's a lot of rich storylines in this game. I know that a lot of people like to call us a rivalry. Bobby Hout corrected me today and said this is, in fact, not a rivalry. But, hey, here nor there. Either way, uh, it's a big game between two familiar opponents, two teams that have played each other quite often over the years and should be an exciting matchup uh, in Missoula on Friday. We're also going to talk about the rest of the FCS playoffs as well. Five Big Sky teams in, one of them's already out. UC Davis, they got steamrolled by South Dakota State, so a three-game losing streak to end the season for the Aggies. So what do we think of Davis and where they're at right now Uh, in year three under Dan Hawkins? Montana State, they also know their opponent as well, and it's a completely foreign one, one that um, I have never had any sort of connection to at all. Tennessee Martin went to Missouri State and forced six turnovers and pulls a 32-31 upset. First playoff win in school history. This is only the second playoff appearance ever for the Skyhawks, and... Saturday afternoon, 2 p.m. kick in Bozeman will be the first time Tennessee Martin has played uh, west of the Mississippi in almost a generation and only the second time they've played in the Mountain Time Zone ever. They've only played three games out west. I guess this will be the third. They once upon a time played Boise State, thanks to John Casper from the Big Sky Conference, for this little tidbit. They once upon a time played Boise State. They once upon a time played Hawaii. But uh, a completely foreign opponent, an t- opponent that has all, hardly any crossover whatsoever whatsoever with anybody in the Big Sky, let alone Montana State. So we'll give you some thoughts on that as well. And then also the All-Big Sky Awards last week uh, came out. A couple big ones for the Montana schools, including Troy Anderson of Montana State, being named the Defensive Player of the Year, and Justin Ford from Montana, being named the Newcomer of the Year. Also a handful of guys from each of the Bobcats and the Grizz landing on the first-team all-conference teams. So we'll debate that too. Andrew Houghton, our producer here at ESPN, will come in, and we'll talk a little all-conference stuff as well. And in, in the second hour of the show, our good buddy Marty Morningway back at the saddle. It's the Monday afternoon quarterback with Coach Marty. So we'll be excited to have uh, Coach Morningway back in the saddle to talk some college football, but specifically a whole bunch of NFL. As always, we're broadcasting Nuanas now from the Northwest Motorsport Studio. Find amazing winter savings at Northwest Motorsport. You can visit NWMSRocks.com for the largest selection of lifted trucks, diesel trucks and off-road vehicles. Take back control of the radio with the new rig from Northwest Motorsport. Let's dive now into the Montana Football Hour, presented in part by Stockman Bank of Montana. At Stockman Bank, they invite you to experience the Stockman difference. As a family-owned community bank with locations throughout Montana, Stockman Bank is committed to enriching the lives of Montanans and helping communities succeed. What that means for you is that your money stays in the local economy, supporting your neighbors and friends. Go down to the Rangers Brothers RV phone line, welcome in. Voice of the Eastern Washington Eagles, second time he's joined us here in about a month. He's Larry Weir. Larry, happy Thanksgiving. Hope you had a wonderful time off and probably not much time off for you because you were preparing for a playoff football game. But how you doing, my man? Thanks for joining us.
2: I'm doing well, Colter. It was a good Thanksgiving. I hope you had a good one as well.
0: Well, let's start with... Leading up to the postseason, Eastern Washington at one point was 7-0 during this football season. They lost consecutive home games for the first time in a really long time, losing to Weber State by one and Montana State by three. We talked to you leading up to the Bobcat game, but just take us through post-Bobcats through the end of the regular season. What did Eastern Washington do to rally to get to that nine-win mark, and uh, what did you think of just the way that they sort of bounced back after they did lose a couple in a row at home?
2: I thought the response was was good. You know, they had to go on the road to a couple of places that, I mean, the the, the games were pretty tough. UC Davis, obviously a playoff team, and then Portland State was a team that kind of put themselves in that conversation had they been able to win, you know, a couple of games there at the end of the season. They ended up 5-6, and but if they had won um, uh, that 10th game of the year and, you know, they went on the road and beat Weber State, prior to that. So if they had won that next to last game, if they'd beaten Sacramento state uh, in that game, and then if they could have beaten Eastern, you know, that's a possibility of a, a possibility of a playoff team as well at, at seven and four with a couple of FBS losses. So both were pretty good teams. Eastern went on the road and, and handled their business and, uh, and, and came out with two victories and ended up getting into the playoffs. And there was really no, Having to sweat it out. If they had gone eight and if they'd lost one of those games and were eight and three, seven and three uh, in Division One games, I think they would have been sweating a little bit at the end. But as it was, they didn't have to do that.
0: Well, no question. And then that leads into when the playoff bracket came out. I know that uh, there was a couple members of Easter Washington, specifically the star receiver Talolo Lemu Jones, which I love how outspoken he is. I think he's uh, so entertaining to listen to. But uh, he was pretty adamant, pretty vocal about the fact that he thought Eastern Washington deserved a playoff seed and uh, maybe some of the other teams in the Big Sky did not. But what did you think of the draw Eastern Washington got when they did finish with that uh, 9-2 and record? Did you think that they were going to get a playoff seed or what was your feeling before the bracket came out?
2: You know, I thought they were deserving of it but unfortunately it's like a game of musical chairs. There's eight seats there and if you have nine or ten people, you know, walking around in a circle going for eight chairs, you're going to have one or two to get left out. And that was the situation here is you had nine or 10 teams, and I would think Missouri State is another team that, that had potentially the, the resume in order to get a seed. you only seed eight, so somebody gets left out. And I thought that Eastern had with, with you know, Montana with Montana, Montana State and Eastern, everybody had negatives, and they all had positives to their resume. And in the end where I really think of boiled down, boiled down colder is all right we can put 15,000, 20,000 25,000 whatever the number is at Washington Grizzly Stadium. we can put 12, fifteen, 18,000 whatever the number ends up being at Bobcat Stadium. we can put five or six or seven thousand at Roose Field so making a financial decision as the NCAA, where are they going to put the games? They're going to put the games at the places where they can get more fans in a situation where you had, uh, you know, Montana, Montana State, Eastern essentially with even resumes. So if you choose Eastern and not Montana State, then you're going to have Montana State left out, and some of their people are probably going to say the same things that Tololo said. If you keep Montana uh, Montana State and Eastern in the conversation and dump Montana out of the seeds, you're going to have some Grizzlies that aren't happy about it. So somebody's not going to be happy in the end, and in this particular case, it ended up being Eastern. I do think that the eight Division I wins hurt them rather than nine, and the loss to Weber hurt them, being a team that's not uh, not in the playoffs, whereas both Montana and Montana State had better losses on their resume.
0: Larry Weir joining us. He's the voice of the Eastern Washington Eagles. Filling in for Riley Corgan, do a little pinch hit because Riley's in Eugene, Oregon. Riley, the voice of the Grizz, joins us for the Montana Football Hour, most oftentimes for the first hour of each Monday's show here on Nuanas Now. And if you missed the memo, maybe if you weren't watching, weren't paying attention, Eastern Washington, a 19-9 win over Northern Iowa on Saturday in Cheney. That secures a second-round playoff matchup and a rematch with the Grizz. And, Larry, it's actually – Quite fascinating to me. I was going through all the history of the Big Sky Conference and times in which there's been rematches. There's only ever been 11 matchups between Big Sky Conference teams, period, against each other in the playoffs. Very rare that you get a rematch against a team that you play in the regular season, non-conference or conference games. And I think there's been less than 20 times this has occurred period, amongst Big Sky Conference teams, but it's involved Bobby Halk about a half a dozen times, uh, sort of um, coincidentally enough. But first question for you when it comes to this upcoming matchup, what do you think of just the regionalization of this 2014 playoff and where are we at with the fact that you're going to have two of the best teams in the Big Sky Conference playing in a loser-go-home matchup in the second round of the playoffs?
2: Well, first off, colder. I don't like it. I think it should be seeded through 24 teams. And so when you, you get to, to the first-round games, nine plays 24, 10 plays 23. But that's also going to be a lot more expensive as well for the NCAA. So I can see where they would rather keep it on a regional basis, try to limit expenses as much as they could, at least in the first couple of rounds. And then you don't have as much region, uh, regionalization. Once you get to the quarterfinals, you know, the winner of Montana Eastern would have to go to James Madison. Should they win? Or if Southeastern Louisiana wins, then they would go to Missoula and we'd figure it out. If Eastern beat Montana, as far as the bidding process goes, but I would, I mean, just for a pure championship, I would rather see everybody seated so that you didn't have regionalization as part of it all, but that's probably unrealistic to the whole situation. So uh, I guess that would be, uh, my answer to, to that part, I just I, I wish that it was not a regional-type deal and you didn't have these types of matchups in the second round.
0: Yeah, I think I, I agree with you. Actually, I don't think I know that I agree with you because I think that what I've seen, and I watched a bunch of FCS playoff games on Saturday. It was fine, good football, but I think that the Big Sky and the Missouri Valley have distanced themselves from the rest of the FCS just in terms of The teams in the league, the the depth in the league. I mean, for example, you saw Portland State pretty recently, and I know Eastern uh, handled that game pretty easily in Portland, 42-28. The Eagles won. But I always think of Portland State, especially this iteration of Portland State with Davis Alexander, as a litmus test for the rest of of the country when I'm trying to compare and contrast leagues and teams. Portland State this year finished right there in the middle of the league uh, in the Big Sky Conference. And when I watch Portland State, I think that they're – to me, better talent-wise, personnel-wise than a lot of the teams I watched in the first round of the FCS playoffs. So I do think that the league itself is quite a bit deeper and more talented than a lot of the other leagues in this playoff bracket. And then you combine that with the fact that it's just rather unfortunate that Cheney, Washington, and Missoula, Montana are only about 210 miles apart because that regionalization then makes it so that on Friday night in Missoula, I think we have two teams – that are legitimately two of the five or six best teams in the country playing each other, and one of them is going to go home without even advancing to the quarterfinals of the playoffs. So I do think that's unfortunate just from a league perspective and just from you know who might be the best. But, Larry, what, what sort of level of confidence do you think Eastern Washington brings into this game? Because at one point, they were the number two team in the country. They were rolling right along, and it seems nationally they've lost a little traction, but internally, two straight wins to get in the playoffs, including... Over a Davis team that made the playoffs, and now they're coming to Missoula on Friday night for a rematch against a Montana team that they already beat. So, what's your gauge just on the mentality of Eastern Washington right now as they make their way to Washington Grizzly Stadium on Friday night?
2: I think they're excited and, and ready to play. They know that they are not that far away from being a 12 and 0 team right now, or an 11 and 1 team right now, as it is. They're 10 and 2, and that's that's it is what it is, as they say. But I think this is a team that knows that it's a very good football team. Uh, it's a team that knows they're going to have their hands full on Friday night, uh, regardless of whether they beat Montana in Cheney earlier this season or not. Montana is a tremendous football team. Maybe the best football team Eastern played uh, over the course of the season. That's yeah, I, uh, Montana certainly showed against Montana state uh, uh-huh. a week and a half ago that they are an outstanding football team. So, uh, this is a really good team that Eastern is going to be facing, but Eastern believes they are also a very good team, and uh, it, a lot of these kids that are older on this Eastern team have played in Missoula and won before in 2017, so they can kind of show some of the young guys what you're going to need to do to win this ball game, and and. and kind of set the tone in practice this week to do that. And, and frankly, not that many, <laughs> there are a lot of teams that haven't won in Missoula or they haven't won in Missoula in a long time. So you know, maybe some other teams that come in over the course of the year, uh, even within just the conference, they just don't have that experience as, as, you know, even though it's been four years with the COVID situation, there's probably 20 guys on this Eastern team that went into Missoula, maybe more, I'd have to sit down and count it up, uh, who have played, not, not only played at Wash Fizz, but they've also won, been on a team that has won there. So, you know, it's 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 going to be a battle, but I think at this point in time, it's going to be a battle every week regardless of who it is that you're having to battle. There's some really good teams in the field this year. It's
0: the Montana Football Hour, presented in part by Brett's RV and Marine. Brett's RV and Marine, proud to be the largest of all Montana RV dealers. They've been locally owned and operated for more than 50 years so swing in and find out what makes Brett's RV and Marine the number one RV dealer under the big sky. Stop by 4,800 Grant Creek Road. Start your next adventure with Brett's RV and Marine. Larry Weir, the voice of the Eastern Washington Eagles, joining us here on Nuwana's now. Larry, let's talk a little bit about Saturday and and what to, what to take away from that game because it was a it was a bizarre game all the way across the board. Eastern Washington posts a 19 to nine win over Northern Iowa. I think it was very clear. Northern Iowa knew they needed to make the game pretty ugly to be able to keep pace with a team that came in averaging 45 points a game. They did exactly that, but they also were able to mitigate and slow down Eastern's offense quite a bit, but a little bit better than, than most teams have this year. So what do you take away from that game? Because Eastern, they figured out a way to get it done, but they won in a completely different fashion than most of the rest of their victories this season.
2: You're not kidding. And most of the rest of the victories Eastern's had in all, probably the last 15 or 20 years, as a matter of fact. So uh, neither team scored 20 points in this ballgame. And the last time Eastern won a game in which neither team scored 20 points was 2015 uh, against Weber State. So now that's Eastern held. Other teams in there obviously to less than nineteen points during those years, but they scored always more than twenty. So this was the first game they had won in that type of situation and in a six year span. So it was a completely different style of game. The weather was not great, uh, a lot of rain, not so much wind on Saturday, but it seemed to me, especially once Eric Berrier scored there in the third quarter, to made it a, a nineteen to two to a seven ball game at that point, I think it was, that Eastern was pretty content to just play field position and put it on their defense. I think they thought their defense was up to the task against Northern Iowa's offense. And what they didn't want to do is give up a a turnover or make a dumb play in your own end and give Northern Iowa field position and momentum. And so I think they were content as long as the defense was getting stops to just go ahead and be very conservative on offense, and, and that's essentially what they did. They got very conservative on offense, basically three downs and punt, take two minutes off the, the play clock by running the ball three times and, and let the defense get back out there again. And it's it was a very odd situation to see when you're used to an Eastern offense that goes up and down the field. I believe they gained five yards in the fourth quarter of play, and they had the ball five times during the during that fourth quarter. So it was, just, it was a completely odd thing to see. Uh, if you're a veteran of watching Eastern football.
0: Well, here's the interesting, part, the most interesting part to me. I've watched Eastern about half a dozen times this year, but the most intently that I've watched them were the two games that they played against uh, Montana and Montana State in Cheney when I was at, I was there live at both of those. And then and this weekend, I watched the game start to finish. And I've caught them other times throughout the year, and I always watch the games back on the live stream. But you hear... Uh, eastern's averaging 50 points a game they're lighting up the scoreboard they're winning with offense you know they dropped 71 on idaho but there seems to be like this perception that eastern's defense isn't that good i saw them live against montana and montana state i thought they were really good and then on saturday they looked good as well so where are we at with the eastern defense it seems like particularly having jack sendelbach back helps quite a bit he was not available against montana state uh he seemed to, to provide a spark and you know, Kalen Kreiner, he's playing at an all-league level. So, uh, I mean, I thought that the the big D tackle, uh, Joshua Jerome, I thought he played outstanding as well. So, I mean, where, where are we at with the evaluation of Easter's defense? Can they win with defense in the postseason?
2: I think they can. I really do, Colder. This is a, a different bunch and the other one that gets them a lot of uh, you know negative reviews was the Western Illinois game, and I'm still not sure what the heck happened in that. And I'm pretty sure that the, the defensive coaches and a lot of the players uh, aren't either sure exactly what happened there because if you take that game out, uh, this defense was probably top three or four in the Big Sky Conference, probably behind Weber, Montana, and Montana State. And those are three pretty good defenses to be behind, if that's who you're going to be ranked behind. Um, they, they get good play at, at all levels. Uh, they've got a disruptive defensive tackle in Jerome. Anytime that you've got uh, to deal with a nose guard that is, you know, getting into your backfield and sacking the quarterback and making a play behind the line of scrimmage, that's a difficult situation. And he's there in the guts, and he disrupts things. Uh, on the uh, for the offensive line and on the offensive side or the opposition. And so that's one really good player there. And then Sindelbach, you're exactly right. They missed him terribly against Montana State. He's the heart and soul, the emotional and, and physical leader of that defense. And again, he's a the guy there in the middle, in the, in the guts of things. And then you mentioned Kreiner at safety. He's also in the middle as the free safety. Uh, kind of running things. So you've got two really emotional, spiritual guys in Kreiner and Sindelbach, and then just the guy that's tearing things up in the middle, being very tough to block in Jerome. So uh, that, I think, makes this defense pretty good. Are they at the level of, of Montana, Montana State, Weber? I don't know, but I don't think they're that far behind those three schools. And so uh, this is a better than average defense, I would say, at Eastern, and uh, the 2018 defense was very good, and I would say this team probably is approaching that. Are they that good? I don't know, but they're they're close to it.
0: Nuwan is now. Larry, we are joining us here on ESPN Radio as well as SWX Montana Television. Larry is the voice of the Eastern Washington Eagles. UWU comes to Missoula Friday night to take on Montana. So let's talk about this game, Larry. These two teams played um, about two months ago now, October 3rd in Cheney under the lights on ESPN2. It was a great game. Montana was in full control of this game, up 21-10 to 10 going into the fourth quarter, but then Eastern, as they've done so often over the last 20 years, just avalanche Montana. 21 points in a row. I guess even 24 unanswered points to come out with a 34-28 to 28 victory. How much do we take from that matchup that plays a factor into, into Friday or at all? Is it a fresh slate, or where are we at with these two teams? Do you feel like there's any carryover from the matchup two months ago.
2: I don't think there's a whole lot of carry over there just because this is a, a, you know, this is a a whole new deal. Your, your, your season is over if you don't win this ball game. So I think there's a little bit more on the line here. Plus it's the second time these teams have played. I don't, and I think there's going to be, somebody's going to change something up. That's going to be interesting to me. and, And for me, is the something Montana is going to change up? Are they going to change up the blitzing that they did in that game? They blitzed Barrier relentlessly, and it worked for three quarters. And then in the fourth quarter, Easton kind of got it figured out a little bit. Um, will they continue to do that in this game, or will they play... A little softer on the uh, on the rush and brought more people in coverage as Montana State did, as Weber State did, as Northern Iowa did. It slowed down Eric Berry a little bit, having more in coverage. He has not. He hadn't thrown for three. He didn't throw for 300 yards against any of those teams. So it's going to be interesting to me to see how Montana plays defense versus how they play defense in October. It'll be interesting to me to see what Eastern does offensively to adjust to whatever Montana might do defensively. And I think Eastern's defense is a little bit better than it was in October. And I've always thought the Montana offense is better than people think it is. Kind of like why I think Eastern's defense is better than what folks think that it is. So. I haven't, it's just going to be very interesting to me to see what happens as far as changing things up because you've already seen, you know, your opponent already this year, and I just don't think either team can go in with the exact same game plan that they did in October.
0: No question. It's going to be fascinating to break down all week long. He's Larry Weir, the voice of the Eastern Washington Eagles, Eastern plays at Montana Friday night. Larry, thanks so much for making some time today, man. Appreciate the help, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you on Friday.
2: Absolutely. We'll do it.
0: Thanks, Colter. Montana Football Hour here on Nuana's Now, ESPN Radio, as well as SWX Montana Television. The Montana Football Hour presented in part by Stockman Bank at Stockman Bank. You receive personalized customer care. Your phone call always answered by a live person. It's true. I made a call today trying to set up a little uh, automatic withdrawal so I can, uh, you know, just make the payment, the bill pay right on time. Bam, somebody set me all up. They got me taken care of on the phone. Five minutes, easy. Don't have to press one a million times. Don't have to try to get to the, the automate, get through the automated voice system. It's uh, a, a welcome change, I'll tell you that. Stockman Bank, they blend traditional Western values with modern conveniences and state-of-the-art technology. They provide time-tested products and services from people who truly care about you and your financial success. What else about the rest of the FCS playoffs? Well, a couple of big sky teams played, a couple of big sky teams waited. Not very many people were in attendance to watch, but I watched a lot of the action. We'll break down the rest of the playoff bracket and also get to some all big sky football teams as well. Keep it right here. Nuana's now ESPN Radio. <laughs> The Grizzlies and the Bobcats shared simultaneous weeks off that saw playoff opponents become solidified and a slew of awards won over the holiday weekend. Hello, I am Coulter Nuanez. Montana's 29-10 win over Montana State secured the number six seed in the FCS playoffs for the Grizz. UM takes a four-game winning streak into its division-best 25th playoff appearance. Montana will host fourth-ranked Eastern Washington Friday night in Missoula after the Eagles posted a 19-9 win over Northern Iowa in the first round on Saturday. Despite the rivalry loss, Montana State takes the number eight seed into the playoffs. The Bobcats will take on an upstart Tennessee Martin squad of the Ohio Valley that forced six turnovers to spring an upset of Missouri State 32-31. The Skyhawks are in their second-ever playoff appearance. Montana and Montana State's football teams were each well-recognized with the release of the Big Sky Conference's year-end awards and all-league squads. Montana State senior linebacker Troy Anderson was named the league's Defensive Player of the Year. Montana cornerback Justin Ford was named the league's Newcomer of the Year after transferring to UM from Louisville last offseason. Other Grizz that received first-team All-Big Sky accolades include linebacker Patrick O'Connell, safety Robbie Howe, kick returner Malik Flowers, punter Brian Buschini, and special teams ace Trevin Gradney. Other first-team Bobcats included running back Isaiah Afonso, wide receiver Lance McCutcheon, offensive lineman Lewis Kidd, defensive tackle Chase Benson, and defensive end Daniel Hardy.
2: This ESPN Missoula Sports Center is brought to you by Garden City Plumbing and Heating.
0: What up, little Queen of the Stone Age. On the way back here on a Monday. Hope you're having a phenomenal start to your week. All the days blend together now, especially since I'm back off vacation. I'm Coulter nuanas This is Nuanez Now. Hope you had a great week last week. Hope you didn't miss us too much. Actually, got several texts that you were missing us, so that's great. Appreciate it. Special appreciation to all the people that have been listening to our Nuanez Now podcast. The numbers have been outstanding. And uh I know that we're getting that thing all across the country, not just here in the state of Montana. And so very cool to have a lot of people from Montana that's hearts are in Montana that don't have the opportunity or the good fortune to live here in Montana. Great hearing from them. And uh, I hope that they're enjoying the, uh, the service that we're trying to provide, because I know that, you know, when you're far away from home, it is a little tough to keep in the loop and, uh. So, really appreciate everybody out there, especially those who aren't living in the Treasure State but are still listening into the Treasure State every single day here on Nuanas Now. It's the Montana Football Hour, which we do for the first hour of Monday's show each week here, presented in part by Brett's RV and Marine. Brett's RV and Marine has 75 RV and boat brands to choose from. That's the largest inventory under the big sky. Stop by 4800 Grand Creek Road. And start your next adventure with the premier dealer in the state of Montana, Riley Corcoran, my good friend and colleague, voice of the Grizz, usually joins me for the Montana Football Hour each week. But he actually just sent me a picture. Uh, He's standing uh, on the upper corner of Autzen Stadium, checking out the digs of the Oregon Ducks. Uh, weird year in the Pac-12, weird year in Oregon, weird year across the board. I watched the Apple Cup, and it was like living in the twilight zone. I mean, it's not even hyperbole to say. Washington State has never whipped Washington like they did on Friday night. I believe, actually, it was the largest margin of victory for the Cougs ever. So, uh, weird year in the Pac-12, but that's all to say that Montana plays a non-conference basketball game tonight in Eugene against Oregon, a final non-conference tune-up before they open conference play, which in itself seems so bizarre. Uh, they will Both the Grizz and Lady Grizz will open. The Grizz on the, on the road and the uh, Lady Grizz here at home. Lady Grizz hosts Sacramento State Thursday, and they also host uh, Northern Colorado on Saturday. We have some tickets for you. We'll do that in the second hour when Coach Marty swings by. So keep it tuned. If you want some Lady Grizz action, go check out the first Big Sky Conference games of the Brian Holsinger era. But the uh, men Grizz who play in Eugene tonight, a little bit of a roll. They had a nice win on the uh, evening after the rivalry football game a couple Saturdays ago, 68-47 to 47 over Omaha. And then this last week, they played in the Town Classic. And UC Wilmington had a little bit of illness go through the team, so they actually had to forfeit after the opening night. But... Montana did defeat a previously undefeated UC San Diego team that's uh, right now making their transition to Division I. And the Grizz also uh, took down Southern Miss, 74-62. It's a little PSA for you. I know there's a lot of people out there that like listening to this show and also like listening to a lot of the stuff that Mr. Corcoran produces. And uh, Riley, he will be back in Missoula, so his coach's show... On Wednesday with Bobby Hulk, will still take place at Finn at 6.30. So, want to hear some insight into the game? You can head on down to Finn. Uh, starting at 6.30 on uh, Wednesday night. So, there's a little PSA for you. A bunch of different things to get to. Last week, we were only here for one day, and it was a jam-packed show with of course, Riley, as well as Coach Marty and uh, Dane Oliver and Mike Motts from the Missoula Sentinel uh, State Champion Spartans football team. So we didn't get to have that much conversation and commentary about the rivalry game. So I know it's been a couple weeks. I know it's kind of old news now. It's never old news because it's always a historic event and something that people talk about all the time, but uh, definitely... Sort of strange. I, I know that, you know, it, it's this balancing act that I have to go through, right? We want to give you all the coverage we possibly can. I love talking about this stuff. Uh, it's very fun and and uh, definitely a passion of mine. Uh, but also sometimes we got to get out of here. <laughs> we got got to take vacation days to use. So all that said, uh, we bring now Andrew Houghton, our producer here at ESPN Missoula, in to talk a little Big Sky Conference in the playoffs and, and some other Big Sky Conference things. But first and foremost, about Montana's 29-10 to 10 victory, over Montana State, we haven't really got much perspective for Andrew. So Andrew's done a great job uh, covering Grizz football for us at Skyline Sports for a handful of years now and uh, been back in Missoula since this summer, uh, helping out with this show as well and, and working as our producer here the last couple months. But I'll, I'll just leave it open to you. Just broadly, what did you think of, of this game? Because there was a lot of back and forth on uh, what we thought was going to happen, but um we didn't really have any gauge truly on what was going to happen. And I think that's what made it so fun. It wasn't necessarily like, uh, oh, man, we got this right, or oh, man, we got this wrong. I think we kind of thought these were two evenly matched teams. But at the end of the day, when the dust settled, one team just whipped the other one. In 29-10, to 10, Montana comes out with their first rivalry victory since 2015. So what did
3: you think of the uh, Bobcat Grizz game? Yeah, I'm not sure anything in it was was super shocking. I mean, it, it it felt that way in the moment when you're watching Montana State struggle and struggle, but I think that was definitely within the possible range of outcomes if you're talking about it before the game because Montana's defense does have that ceiling that not a lot of teams can match. I think the most striking thing for me is that Montana State didn't have a counterpunch. They didn't have an adjustment. I mean, it's not it's not really surprising that Montana State struggled to get Isaiah Fonse going. We we watched him on his first couple carries, and it was like, man, the burst just isn't there. It, it didn't look like he was at 100%. It wasn't surprising that he didn't go for 150 yards and sort of carry that offense and be the bell cow, but it is surprising that Montana State, I mean, they just didn't have an adjustment. They didn't have any sort of counterpunch to Montana's defense. They were just sort of wallowing and going nowhere the whole day. Montana is so...
0: This Montana team, I think this is the hardest part for for followers and, and the fan base to, to really absorb is that the style the Grizz play, because they're so aggressive and because it's so based on momentum and field position – for lack of a better way of describing it, it's almost a feast or famine style. Sometimes it can look ugly if if they're not fully clicking or fully just pounding teams. But they could also look so intimidating and so impressive when they do pound teams. But I thought that was the, the key to the game. And, and that was the lead quote you had in your game story. And that was the first question I, I asked Bobby Halk. I said, how did you guys seize the momentum but then also carry the momentum? And you could tell he had already thought of what exactly he was going to say, and he said, well, that was the key. We carried the momentum. It wasn't just seizing it. It was carrying it. And I think that when the Grizz have been at their best this year, that's what they do best, seize and then carry the momentum. They have so many different uh, atypical-type tools to get it done. Uh, If this team had a powerhouse run game to go with their phenomenal play on special teams, their phenomenal ability to dictate the field position – their phenomenal ability to stop the run, I think that they would absolutely be a favorite for the national championship. They're they the 60 in the playoffs, so hard to say that they're not among the contenders. But um, where did the the game against Montana State rank just in terms of those elements? Did you, I mean, do you think that was the best Montana's played in terms of what they want their identity to be? No, I
3: think that was the Washington game. Yeah, right, right. That seems so long ago. That seems like it was Right, I, I had to think ago. back. Yeah, I I was going back, but also it seems like they've been in third gear for most of the season after that Washington game right. up until now. So yeah, I mean it ranks up there. Yeah, and it's also it was also sort of hard to to
0: compartmentalize too. That's why this league was so weird this year because maybe they did shift into fourth gear, uh, but we just didn't really give them the credit that they needed and or it was just hard to analyze because it was against Northern Colorado and Northern Arizona, right the 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 lack of quality of opponent was was a hard part as well, uh, but when the playoff seeds came out and th- this team was a six seed, where did you think of that? Did you think that that was
3: uh, right or too low, too high? I think that was about right. I mean, I had some beefs with the playoff committee in in other places. I mean, Eastern Washington being unseeded, of course. Sure. It it became so difficult because. Eastern Montana State and Montana were sort of stuck in that wheel of death where everybody beats everybody else and going around. So, you, you know, it became tough to put one of those teams solidly ahead of the other because they were all nine-win teams, right, with, with a win over the other and a loss to the other one in that group. Sure. I think probably... Of course, Eastern Washington playing a non-D1 probably hurt them. And Montana having an FBS win helped them significantly. A a, a big FBS win, although, I mean, at the end of the season, where does that Washington win win really rank? Uh, I
0: I was watching the Apple Cup on Friday night, and, you know, I mean, there's a lot of different factors of why I've always followed Washington. But, like, when I was working in newspapers in uh, the state of Washington, I worked with a bunch of people that were UW grads. And uh, the the paper I was working at for a couple years – didn't have a Sunday edition, so when Central Washington was out of town, I had the opportunity to go to most Huskies games, either with buying my own ticket or going with some buddies. So I, I sort of became a follower of Washington football, and you know, there's there's the uh, the Tyrone Willingham, Steve Sarkeesian days, which are, are forgettable for sure. But Washington had it rolling as hard as any Pac-12 team has had it rolling in the, in the last several years, and they had just a slew of unbelievable talent and. Chris Peterson seemed like the perfect fit, and since he's retired, the the level and the how ex, how expedited the regression has been is is astounding. It's actually crazy that they went from like a team that had literally ten draftable players on there to a team that like was completely hapless on on Friday. So you're right. I mean, maybe that win doesn't look as good in retrospect, but I don't know. Here here we are. It's it's still a win over
3: as Bobby Houck said, the Washington Huskies. Right, exactly. No, it's interesting that you brought that up about Washington, Washington State, because on the other side, I mean, how about Washington State? I wasn't watching that game on Friday, but but I was following along because our mutual friend Colton Clark, he used to cover the Idaho Vandals, covers Washington State football now. So I was reading his tweets, and, and they just pasted them. Well, what a season for the Cougars. It's been sort of interesting to follow along, mostly vicariously through Colton. I mean, going through the whole thing with Nick Rolovich and then finishing it up like this. Yeah, it, it, I think that
0: that win, though, definitely did boost Montana into getting seeding. It is new on, now, ESPN Radio, Montana Football Hour. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a break and continue to debate the football bracket and also get into some all-conference stuff as well because both the Grizz and Bobcats, very decorated when it came to the postseason awards in the Big Sky Conference. But as there always is, some discussion points, some controversy, all that. So we'll do that. We'll talk FCS playoffs. Did the committee get it right? How tough is the draw for the Big Sky Conference's teams? And should Troy Anderson be the Big Sky Conference defensive MVP? It's the Montana Football Hour here on ESPN Radio. Keep it right here, 102.9 FM. Sports Bet Montana is powered by the Montana Lottery. Join in on the excitement for SportsBet Bet Montana by betting on your favorite sports and teams, both collegially and professionally.
2: Two point nine ESPN radio, Missoula.
0: I sometimes wonder what influence. Guitar Hero will have on the timeless nature of certain musical genres or artists or, or things like that. This is definitely one of the fun, most fun songs to play on the Guitar Hero. Do they still even have that? I think they must still have it. It used to be a really fun game. <laughs> Wasted so much time playing that game. Welcome back in Nuanas Now ESPN Radio as well as SWX Montana Television. I'm Coulter Nuanas. We're continuing with the Montana Football Hour. If you're watching on TV or on YouTube – And you don't see my esteemed colleague, Riley Corcoran, it's because he's not here. He is in Eugene, Oregon. He usually joins me for the first hour of each Monday's show. Uh, But the Grizz play Oregon in hoops tonight. So you can catch his broadcast on the Grizzly Radio Network uh, or on the Varsity Network app. But we are giving you all the things you need to know about Montana, Montana State, Big Sky Conference, and FCS playoff football. So let's continue to do so. Obviously, The spotlight is squarely on a top-five matchup at Washington Grizzly Stadium Friday night. Eastern Washington posted a 19-9 win over Northern Iowa in one of the ugliest games I've ever seen Eastern Washington play. As you heard, if you were listening from the top, Larry Weir, the voice of the Eastern Washington Eagles, joined us. Hard to really compare to any other game. Eastern never wins (laughs) 19-9. They never win. When, giving up less, or when scoring less than 20 and giving up less than 10 points. Uh, pretty crazy. Uh, they've made every mistake in the world. Uh, they had a touchdown called back on a penalty. They got no points out of that. They had another trip to the red zone in which they missed a 27-yard field goal. They missed an extra point. They had a turnover all in the first half, but somehow they still move on, and so they will get a rematch with Montana Friday night uh, at Washington Grizzly Stadium. Again, that's where the spotlight is, but there's a lot of other stuff that went down throughout the uh, Big Sky Conference and throughout the FCS playoffs as well. So we're into the round of 16, into the second round, and that includes an upstart Tennessee Martin team that uh, is completely unfamiliar to me or pretty much anybody around the Big Sky Conference. The Skyhawks making their second-ever playoff appearance, their first since 2006. They've had the same coach the entire time. Coach Simpson, which we're efforting to have on the show later on this week, His first year was back in 2006. They made their first ever playoff appearance. Here they are 15 years later back in the playoffs. But they are the champions of the Ohio Valley. And uh, their 32-31 victory over Missouri State means Tennessee Martin will travel to Bozeman Saturday afternoon to take on the Bobcats. Uh, Other games worth noting, especially ones with Big Sky Conference ties, UC Davis limped into the playoffs after losing consecutive games down the stretch to Eastern Washington and Sacramento State. And uh, Davis, they didn't look very good on Saturday either. South Dakota State just drilled them. That was the worst draw of the first round, and I also think that it's pretty crazy the way that the bracket played out. Sacramento State went undefeated in Big Sky Conference play. They did have that Causeway Classic victory, 27-7, over Davis in the season finale to sew up their first ever outright championship. Their reward, the number four seed, and either what was going to be a rematch with their rival in UC Davis, or now in this case, after South Dakota State's 56-24 to victory over UC Davis, a matchup with the team that I thought was one of the best teams in the country. I've seen South Dakota State twice this year. They beat North Dakota State earlier this year. They are a an, 9-3 an and three team. They have three losses, partially because they had some injuries in the middle of the year. But they are just... Uh, Looked like a juggernaut. They rushed for about 450 yards. Isaiah Davis had over 250 yards rushing. Pierre Strong, their All-American caliber running back, had another 180-plus. And uh, they averaged almost 11 yards per carry. Just absolutely gassed UC Davis. So that's Sac State's wonderful reward for going undefeated in league play. They get one of the best teams in the country. I thought that was very interesting. The first time the Big Sky's ever gotten five teams in. That's a good thing for the league. On the flip side... I thought everybody in the league got a bad draw. I thought that in order of bad draws, though, Sac State got the worst draw because they are going to have to play a rematch with their rival second time in three weeks if Davis was to win, or instead now they get who I think is one of, if not the favorites in this bracket in South Dakota State, albeit the Jacks will have to go on the road uh, several times because they had to play in the first round if they are to make a run. But I think South Dakota State is exceptionally talented, and uh, they've been here before as well. I mean, this is their uh, 11th playoff appearance since 2009, so they are a perennial, almost certainly defining perennial, playoff contender. I also thought Montana, although like Andrew Houghton was saying, the sixth seed's about right for the Grizz. I still thought they got an incredibly tough draw. They're going to host the fourth-ranked team in the country in the polls. That's Eastern Washington Friday night. And if they do get past them, probably looking at a trip to James Madison, one of the toughest places in the country to play. And if they get past that in the seeds hold, then you're probably talking about a trip to Fargo to play North Dakota State. So you might have to play 4-3-2 even to get to the national championship game. So tough draw for the Grizz. There's some scuttle that Montez State got a little bit better of a draw. I do think that Tennessee Martin is a better first-round opponent for the Bobcats, or a second-round opponent, I should say. Uh, uh, But then they're on the same side as the top-ranked Sam Houston State Bearcats, the team that won the Spring National Championship. So um, I'll ask you, Andrew, what do you think? Who got the worst draw amongst these big-sky teams? Well, I can't
3: believe you didn't mention Eastern Washington. Which... Well, of course, right? They got they have won nine games and they had to they had to play in the first round. They have they have Montana's draw, <laughs> except they already had to win a game because <laughs> and, they were unseated. And, and yeah, you're right. That might actually be the worst draw because I'll, I still I
0: still contend Sac State's the worst draw. But I actually Eastern is probably the second worst draw because you have to play in the first round on Thanksgiving. You don't get a bye like everybody else, but then your reward for winning a first round game against a team that's in the playoffs almost every year as well in Northern Iowa is a trip to Washington Grizz on Friday night
3: to play a team that you already beat but now you have to go on the road to play them no it's it's brutal and Eastern Washington was the highest ranked Big Sky team in the final stats poll of the season I think they were they were number four yeah they were yeah it's uh it's pretty interesting because I screamed and yelled
0: all fall how I thought that the, the committee would do something to ensure that the Big Sky didn't get the number of teams uh, that it would that it should have into the playoffs. They did get the five teams. I was wrong there, but they I was not wrong in this committee doing something to slight the league, and that's exactly what happened.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think when it comes down to the bracket and we talk about all these teams have tr- tough draws, I think that was pretty much unavoidable, right. When you have the two conferences, the big Sky in the Missouri Valley, dominating the FCS landscape as much as they are true because those those two are the the two best conferences. And what's going to happen when you have two conferences that are that strong where they're putting five or six teams in the playoffs is just the, uh, you know, the attrition in the conference schedules is going to push teams like South Dakota State and like Eastern Washington down to being unseeded and it's going to push a team like Montana State down to being the number eight seed. I mean, the only way to do it is to have the entire top eight B teams from those two conferences, which can't do that either. So it ends up with, with teams from those conferences getting really tough draws.
0: Yeah, and the other striking thing about what I was watching, I mentioned this with Larry Weir while he was joining us, the voice of the Eastern Washington Eagles, but I still contend, and I know there's some proximity bias to this, uh, but I still contend that most of the teams in the Big Sky are better than most of the teams in most of the rest of the FCS conferences. Like, I watched a little Davison versus Kennesaw State in front of twenty seven hundred people. <laughs> and I, I just think that like Northern Arizona versus Davison is a good would be a good game. Portland State versus Kennesaw State would be a good game. And so you know, I, I get why they expanded the auto bids and the the regional and national map of the playoffs with this twenty fourteen bracket. But I also just wonder what's the point? I was I was curious about this, so I looked up Some of the attendance numbers. This is the Montana Football Hour, by the way, presented in part by Stockman Bank of Montana. Stockman Bank has 36 locations around the state of Montana. They're only in Montana. It's a bank for Montanans by Montanans. Let Stockman Bank show you Montana's brand of banking today. Here's your attendance numbers for the eight FCS playoff games for the first round. Sacred Heart at Holy Cross, which, by the way, Holy Cross's offensive coordinator, none other than the former Grizz quarterback, Justin Roper. thought that was fascinating. But Holy Cross gets their first ever playoff victory. Shout out Bill Simmons. The uh, the czar of, of modern sports media is a Holy Cross alum. Uh, but Holy Cross wins in, in the final minute of that game in front of 4,163 people. If that doesn't sound like many, well, that was actually the second most highly attended game of the first round. The only other one with more attendance, Tennessee Martin at Missouri State, 5,072 people. Other uh, attendance numbers, Davison at Kennesaw State had twenty six hundred and sixty four. Stephen F. Austin at Incarnate Word had 3,400, or 3,448. UC Davis at South Dakota State. This was stunning to me: thirty six hundred eighty one people. They'd have a brand new stadium at South Dakota State. I know it's Thanksgiving weekend and all that, but to put that in perspective, where they're like in proportion to their maximum attendance, that's like the same. That's like if three thousand people show up to the Bobcat game on Saturday. That's crazy. Eastern Washington only drew 3,845. Southern Illinois, South Dakota, 3,597. And Florida A&M against Southeastern Louisiana, forty one twenty five. So when you look at those attendance numbers, or lack thereof, lack of revenue produced by that first round of the playoffs, and then you also look at the fact that a team like Holy Cross now has a playoff victory when a team like Northern Iowa does not. I, I, I thought Northern Iowa was actually very bad. I did not think they deserved a playoff bid. But here nor there. I guess the question is, what's the point of the first round of the playoffs if it's basically chalk? The only upset you had was Tennessee Martin going on the road to beat Missouri State. But also, you're not producing any revenue in terms of the revenue sharing of the model. I mean, Larry Weir said it. Montana, Montana State are going to have a lot of gravitas when it comes to the seedings and stuff because they draw so well. But what's the point of the first round of the playoffs if
3: nobody goes and you have chalk results? Well, this is not a, a take that I use very often. But, man, this is the way that sports are going, man. You just get more people into it and involved. Yeah, maybe and, that's and, true. And now usually you're doing that for more money. I mean, did you see yeah. the MLB playoff proposal today that they're letting 14 teams into the MLB playoffs now possibly? Oh, jeez. The World Cup is expanding, right? I mean, the the NBA and the, the NFL and the NHL already let half the teams in the league into the playoffs. It's just the way the sports are going. I mean, normally there's a lot of dollar signs attached to it because you get more playoff games, so you get more gate attendance and you get more TV revenue. But in the FCS, man, I guess you're not, you're not getting that. Yeah, those attendance figures were a little surprising. Maybe you move it off of Thanksgiving weekend? Sure. I mean, that would be the easiest fix to me to at least try and see if you could salvage it. Because a lot of these games should be averaging more people. I mean, Kennesaw State Stadium is gorgeous, and they're 40 minutes away from a major metropolitan area. I mean, they, like, got,
0: they got 45,000 students. Yeah. 45,000 students. Yeah.
3: come on. It's
0: uh, it, it's definitely a uh, something to be addressed. Because I do understand, sort of on one side, like you're talking about, you get more people engaged in it. Maybe even some of those fan bases from the teams that lost. Now they keep watching the FCS playoffs. I don't know. But here's the thing: the regionalization thing
3: hurts the interest. Like, I didn't, sure. Eastern Washington-Northern Iowa is a decent game, but, like, give us a team that we have never seen before. I mean, I've seen Northern Iowa play multiple times because I've seen them play the Grizz and I've seen them play Idaho State in the last four years, right? Like, if you're going for entertainment, have Eastern Washington play Southeastern Louisiana in the first round, right? Totally. I, I was thinking about this the other day. Montana State will be making
0: their seventh playoff appearance in the 11 years that I've covered them. I have watched Montana State lose in the playoffs to only three programs, including South Dakota State, only once. i watched Montana State lose to Sam Houston State and North Dakota State. It's just like
3: on repeat. New names, new coaches, same thing. Sure, and, <laughs> and maybe you're going to get to that anyway because the right. SCSs have a problem because the same eight teams have been in the quarterfinals for the last decade. I mean, essentially –
0: yeah, that's, that's the other thing is when you look at the bracket, actually, if this is about the teams with the best ability to draw, getting home games for the revenue sharing, it does work out when you get to this round now because you have uh, Sam Houston State, which draws well, hosting. North Dakota State, which draws as well as anybody, hosting. James Madison, Montana, Montana State. I mean, those are the only teams that have significant revenue production when it comes to ticket sales.
3: Yeah, so now maybe this round is your moneymaker. But, again, if it plays out chalk, now suddenly you have Sacramento State hosting a quarterfinal game eventually down the road. I mean, yeah, what, what do you do with that? Exactly, exactly. So we'll see. We'll see how it all plays out.
0: We we are not going to get to the all-conference stuff today. We'll get to it a little bit later on. But just for those listening that are interested, all sorts of great accolades for both Montana and Montana State players Troy Anderson from MSU was named the Defensive Player of the Year in the Big Sky Conference. Justin Ford from Montana named the Newcomer of the Year after transferring to the Grizzlies from Louisville in the offseason. Eric Berrier, Eastern Washington quarterback, was the Offensive Player of the Year. R.J. Martinez from Northern Arizona was the Freshman of the Year. Other first-team All-League selections from the Montana schools included Isaiah Afonso and Lance McCutcheon, the first running back and wide receiver at Montana State to earn first-team All-League in 10 years. I thought that was pretty surprising. Louis Kidd from MSU also lands on the first team offense. Uh, Daniel Hardy, Chase Benson from the Bobcats on the first team defense. The first team defense was dominated by Montana. Patrick O'Connell, Justin Ford, and Robbie Houck all earn first team all league defensive honors. Malik Flowers, first team all league as a kick returner. Trevin Gradney, first team all league as a special teams performer. And Brian Buscini, first team all league as a punter. Uh, so a lot of great accolades for both the Montana schools, and we'll get to more of that and the debate and all that a little bit later on this week. Listen to Nuanas Now. It's the Montana Football Hour. Our good friend Marty Morningway back in the saddle. He'll join us. It's the Monday afternoon quarterback with Coach Marty next. This has been the Montana Football Hour presented by Stockman Bank of Montana and Brett's RV and Marine. Keep it right here. All things NFL with Coach Marty right after this. It's Nuanas Now